We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void or prohibited. Another off-season edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here, as always, with Rotowire's James Anderson. We talked a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, when we got back from the combine uh, about what we saw there. Uh, at that point, the lottery had not yet been set. Uh, that happened last week, Tuesday. Uh, of course, the lottery didn't change whatsoever, so it didn't necessarily impact the mock drafts that we've been doing and, and the prospect reports that we've been doing. But we both released mock drafts on rotowire.com last week. For me, it was the first one that I did this year. For you, it was your third. Your first one came out back in February. You offered an update, uh, Mock Draft 2.0, around the same time in March. Uh, And then, of course, the latest one, your Mock Draft 3.0, like I said, just came out last week. So we'll spend this podcast talking about the differences between our mock drafts, Um, you know, guys we like, guys we're not quite so high on, 
um, just kind of general thoughts on what we think these teams will do. But first, you know, like I said, since you've done a couple of these mock drafts and you've kind of been able to see the trends and, and how the, the perception of some of these guys has changed, has there been one or two guys who you found yourself kind of drastically moving up or down your board since you, you issued your first mock? I think uh, Jalen Brown's moved down and Buddy Heald's moved up and you know the rest of the guys are, are sort of fluid in that, that 7 to 14, 15 range. I mean, Buddy Heald, you know, when I did my first one, I don't even remember. I think I might have had him going 10 and that seemed like optimistic given where he was on a lot of boards and now it seems like a lock that he'll go like top 6 or 7, so... Uh, you know, I, I was, I've always been pretty high on healed as a guy that is a no doubt top 10 guy on my board. And it just took, I think it took kind of the general consensus a while to come around to that. And then Jalen Brown, I think the more people watch him, I think they're kind of picking apart weaknesses in his game and stuff like that. So, I mean, he obviously had the pedigree and the athleticism to hang up in the top five on most people's boards for most of the season. But now I think it it's probably a safe bet that he's he'd be lucky to go in the top five overall this year yeah I think those are the two names that that I guess I expected I think it's easy to forget you know that people were a little bit you know not quite so high I guess on Buddy Heald uh before the NCAA tournament or even you know through the first round or two of the NCAA tournament but you know the way that he was able to play uh really in every game except for that final four loss to Villanova I think boosted his stock quite a bit and you know now we're coming up on almost two months of him kind of being in that consensus top six seven range but yeah I mean before the NCAA tournament there were questions about whether or not you know he could translate this type of game, this type of you know high usage, high outside shooting game to the NBA, and and certainly there were questions about his size too. And I think how he measured in at the combine was at six nine and a half, I believe, was the wingspan. He was a legitimate six uh, four without shoes, you know, an inch taller really than he was listed in college. So I think he put to rest you know any concerns about how his game would translate in the NCAA tournament, and I think he put put to rest any concerns about his size. So I mean. He's a guy that, you know, I'm looking at your most recent mock draft. You have him all the way up uh, at number six to New Orleans, and and I think that makes sense. I have him a little bit higher at number four uh, to Phoenix, but, I mean, we can agree that I think he falls no lower than eight to Sacramento, and that that's probably the absolute floor for Buddy Heald. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, when, when you're doing these mocks – the one thing that you know I, you're always kind of looking it, you know it's a lot of teams just go best available but a lot of teams maybe sort of trick their boards into best available also filling a need for them and it's it's sometimes hard to to find a spot for certain guys especially for me I, I always have a hard time placing big men uh, but it's never hard to make a case that a team could use a outside shooter i mean that they those guys fit in pretty much everywhere so uh very easy to have healed come off the board pretty early yeah looking back at your initial uh mock draft again this came this came out on february 25th so quite a while ago already you had diamond stone uh at 13 at 13 to houston i don't, I don't mean to out Whoa. you on here but he's you know looking at the rest of your t- at this point it was just the lottery you know now we have a full first yeah. round mac but you know everyone else uh i know you dropped yaka Pertle down a little bit but you know he's still in that that you know 10 to 15 range but stone i think is a guy that you know I, when this came out he was in the midst of kind of on again off again dominating the big 10 every now and then and i think people have cooled off on him a little bit it'd be very surprising if he went as high as 13 but I mean, he's still a guy that that's being talked about in the end of the first round. Yeah, I 
I didn't. Re- I don't remember. This is before Snapchat. I, this is all completely <laughs> taking me by surprise here. I don't. I don't remember this at all. But uh, yeah, no, he. He, I think he had like a couple. This might have been like a few days after that crazy like thirty point fourteen rebound game he had against. Uh, I forget who it was, but I mean, he he had a couple games in Big Ten play that really turned some heads. But I mean, every everyone sort of kind of come to the realization that this is a below average post defender, not a great athlete, despite his impressive size. And I think a lot of people just kind of view him as a, a big man off the bench. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I think he didn't measure in at the combine quite as well as people expected. I think height wise he was fine. You know, he had one of the highest body fat percentages. The vertical wasn't really there. He would have been um, one of the one of the odds odd favorites to win the the body fat. Uh, <laughs> we should have body we fat award. bets on that. Honestly, I don't know what we were thinking. Uh, but let's start with the top of the draft. Um, you know, we'll go through our our lotteries and then we'll kind of pick and choose a few players beyond the lottery that we'll talk about. But again, well, going or go ahead. Okay, so. I wanted to ask you just off the top on uh, with our first pick. I have Brandon Ingram. You have Ben Simmons. I've seen some chatter uh, on Twitter, and uh, a lot of the times it kind of comes from people that aren't that haven't really been following the either the prospects all season long or, or aren't full time NBA people and are just kind of tuning in now that the draft's rolling around. Is it an outlandish uh, kind of pick on my end to have? Brandon Ingram going number one is this even a debate I mean I've seen some people ask is this just kind of a fictional debate as to whether Simmons or Ingram go number one with a lot of people sort of assuming that Simmons no matter what no no I don't think it's I think it's a real debate I don't think I've never, I actually don't I would like to know where you read that I mean I don't think are there people out there who really think that this is all just some sort of you know conspiracy to, to boost Brandon Ingram's stock no I think I think right now from what I've seen I would I would say you know, maybe a little bit conservatively, that it's probably 70-30 still in favor of Simmons. I think that sounds and, right. And I think a lot of that is just the momentum that he has. I always liken it to, I, I used to write back in college, I did a, a Heisman Watch column for the school paper, and uh, did that have anything to do with Wisconsin? No, not at all. Um, but Heisman Watch. Yeah, Heisman Watch. I, you know, I'm throwing, I'm throwing like, <laughs> trying to remember who was even quarterback. It might have been the Russell Wilson year. So either way. Andrew Luck came into the season as the overwhelming favorite for the Heisman. According to Nick Whalen. According to, to Rotowire's <laughs> Nick Whalen. Then uh, the Badger Heralds, Nick Whalen. <laughs> the Badger um, Heralds of Nick Whalen likes Luck for Heisman. <laughs> which at the time was like the coldest take of all time. But it took, I mean, he, he had a good year. He ended up being a finalist. But the numbers didn't really bear out whatsoever that he should be the number one pick or should be the, uh, the Heisman winner, I should say. And it kind of has that feel to me with Ben Simmons where – you know, he's playing well, but other guys are kind of overperforming. Obviously, Brandon Ingram being that guy, Buddy Heald being a guy like that. And the momentum that Ben Simmons carried into this season, I think it takes a while for that to wear off. And we saw that last year with Jalil Okafor as well. And I think you're you're getting a lot of people keeping Simmons atop their board because it's just the safe thing to do. Right. I kind of applaud uh, Draft Express for they, they've been out on Ingram as their top guy for a while now, and uh, I have as well. But I, I just think, I mean, you're you're absolutely insane if you think that there aren't a good chunk of teams that would take Ingram over mm-hmm. Simmons. Like that's that to me that there's at least uh, six or seven, you know, maybe eight or ten teams that would take Ingram over Simmons and wouldn't even think twice about it. So I mean, I think that they're. I acknowledge that Simmons has a higher ceiling because he's a guy that 
has so many natural gifts that like Ingram just isn't going to be able to develop. Like he's never Ingram's never going to be the passer that Simmons is. He's never going to be the rebounder that Simmons is. Like he just can't physically accomplish those things. But uh, you know Ingram to me has has a, a higher floor, and he also sort of has the intangibles that I I think you. When when you look back on guys that go this high and bust, you usually can trace it back to kind of work ethic things or off court things, and I don't really see those with Ingram. Whereas I I could see those. You know, we could look back five years down the line and be like, well, maybe we should have been a bit more concerned about the way Simmons carried himself towards the end of the season at LSU. Yeah, I agree, and I think you know point you made at the at the beginning there of you know Simmons being viewed I think as less of a risk and just kind of the the consensus pick and whether that you know that's certainly not the case now as it was four months ago but I think when you're deciding between two guys like this taking Ingram is a little bit more of a risk if you take Ingram and he busts then it's like wow you passed on the obvious guy in Ben Simmons if you take Simmons and he busts it's you know it's like well you know this is a guy we were supposed to take I think you know well I think you know Ingram's not gonna bust right right. quote-unquote bust but I think you're the big fear if you take Ingram over Simmons is that Simmons like reaches his potential right. and is like the sort of top three or top five player for like a decade. And then you're just the guy that didn't take Ben Simmons when you had the number one pick. Ingram probably like I still think there's a, a legit scenario where you could look back and everyone and their mom's gonna say Ingram would have been the pick there. But there but he's not gonna be that kind of best player in the league or top three player in the league, at least not uh immediately or not in the first two or three years so i think i think simmons doesn't taking simmons definitely doesn't get you fired no right that then that's i think something you do have to consider in a lot of these situations and i think philly you know with all the turmoil that's gone on in that organization i don't know if anybody's necessarily going to be fired you know i think that would have been sam hinky but that already basically happened however you want to word it um but you know they're not in a position where they can blow this at all you know this has been a a four or five year drawn out you know kind of public tanking process and this is the first time that they've actually been at the top of the draft and it's a year where you know arguably you have you know two of the biggest prizes that have come through you know I think you know, I'm trying to remember where they where were they in the Anthony Bennett draft they were down a little bit right because I think they grabbed Michael Carter Williams in that one yeah that's, um, that's right was that Nerlens Noel's draft as well they definitely had no that's picks. the that was the Nerlens oh draft, so they drafted yeah. Nerlens yeah, yeah that was they a year after Michael Carter Williams right I think I want to say I'll have to look back. MTW's been I feel like MTW's been around longer than he's Noel, been he's but, been doing things. For... Um, but yeah, no, they 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 haven't. I mean, Jaleel was probably their top pick in terms of a guy that people thought might be a franchise guy. Nobody right. else they've taken before has kind of had franchise potential. Uh, I think they're going to end up having to if they want to take Simmons. There's some chips that are going to have to fall elsewhere on the roster because I just don't I don't buy into him fitting the way it's currently constructed and that's why I've, I mentioned that like as soon as they you know I, I think Jolly Okafor is a pretty obvious guy that they're going to flip if they have some level of confidence in Joel Embiid playing next season and I know Embiid recently tweeted that he's he's going to play he'll be ready for next season uh, I mean I, I think it makes sense to, to move Okafor and just free up minutes for Simmons at the four be, uh, with Nerland sliding over to the five and Simmons I th- also think Simmons can play some five in against certain lineups you think Simmons can play the five I, I, think, I think he's you, I, I, think I think you want him at the three ideally no. if you can shoot not right okay. away well I think so this is where this is where like and I argued with I was arguing with Shannon about this too like I think Simmons 
has the most value as a as a four five who who does the five in sort of the Draymond Green style. Sure. Where like you have him, you never start him at the five, but you have just deadly lineups where he's basically the the tallest guy on the floor, your number one rebounder, and you surround him with shooters, and you you can run, you can just dice people up in the pick and roll in the half court. To me, there there are certain teams where there's he's just not going to get punished i mean he's such a good rebounder he's so big and and strong that, that he's not going to get punished against certain lineups and certain teams you can't do that against against you know teams like uh, the grizzlies or whatever but even then like you're going to win that that matchup on the offensive end because the five isn't going to be able to guard simmons i think at the three you just give up so many strategic advantages by by putting him off off uh you know putting him on a faster player yeah that's true I think initially especially with his lack of shooting right now and the passing ability it it's certainly intriguing to think of him at at that Draymond five kind of role and I think he'll be you know he's not going to be Draymond defensively you know, no. certainly not right away but I think he'll be a decent enough defender that you can get away with that in small doses and you know the only thing that concerns me we've seen guys you know on paper you know throw LeBron at the five throw Paul George at the four that type of role they don't necessarily always want to do that Durant's been hesitant to play the four I think I think it's a situation where it looks good on paper the coaches might like it but you also have to get the player to buy into playing that kind of role well and I don't I think that also just ties back into Simmons and I don't think I think like you would need the right coaching staff to convince him of that but I also think the LSU coaching (laughs) but well right I I also think he's not the type of player who really has any interest in in making any kind of sacrifices on the court at all. So that's that's one of the reasons why I like Ingram more than him. I just I think Ingram's uh, just a better fit, a more coachable player. Whereas I think Simmons, you could have a perfect scheme in mind of how to best maximize his abilities, but I, I think getting buy-in from him is going to be the the most difficult thing because he's just going to want to be in whatever positions uh, less stressful for him. So. You know, I mean, maybe if he if his if he becomes like a thirty five, thirty six percent shooter, I think he can play the three in certain lineups on certain teams. But uh, I mean, he's he's a big dude. Like, I, unless he's really stretching the floor, I just think it it's too big of a liability to to a team's offense to have him out there and not occupying the four or the five. All right. So just to clarify, before we continue, when you're making these selections in your mock draft, are you predicting? kind of like what you would do if you're the 76ers or what no. you think the 76ers will do i'm okay i'm doing it yeah i'm doing it based on sure. what i what i think they would okay. do if if all the information is current like we, mm-hmm. i mean there's no trades neither you neither you or i predicted trades in our mock no, that that's, you, that seems a little that's, complicated that's, it's a lot yeah i mean then you're just kind of making it very painfully obvious that you're not going to get stuff right uh to me though i think boston at number three is a very very obvious trade partner and possibly even with the Sixers I, I think you know they were linked to Jill Okafor at the trade deadline last year I you know I know uh, Bill Simmons posited that they should uh, trade Okafor for the number three pick because the theory would go that Okafor would be the number three pick if he was in this draft I, I think that that knowing what we know now about Okafor isn't a isn't a lock but uh you know, to me, it, it does make sense for both teams. If the Celtics can't package this to get a superstar, then they at least could move it to get a guy like Okafor if they don't love the guys on the board at three. And I think we agree that they don't love the guys on the board at three, right? I mean, we well, did, Dragon Bender's still 
I'm very much a mystery. Um, kind of reminds you of the, or the Porzingis situation last year. You know, it's a name that you hear on and off over the mm-hmm. you know over previous years. It heats up in the year that he's going to come out, but we still really don't know that much about him. I mean, I, I don't think Bender's going to challenge Ingram or Simmons for one two, but he could go as high as three. I mean, he could go as low as you know somewhere seven eight. If if for some reason the stock falls, if teams don't like what they see uh, in workouts, but it's just hard to see Boston, you know, kind of buying in on a long term. Uh, you know, somewhat of a project player, at least in Bender, a guy who's mm-hmm. you know not playing big minutes overseas, uh, certainly has high potential, but not a win now piece. And I think I w- if I was handicapping it, I think I'd almost you know, you have to think Boston's going to want to make a move. Maybe they don't for sure make a move, but Danny Ainge come draft night and the nights before is going to be sniffing around trying to find a way to to move that pick and, and get some assets. And I think it's certainly not far fetched to say that Philadelphia could could try to get that pick. At number three, you know, maybe they go Simmons or Ingram at one and then are able to grab a guy like Chris Dunn or Buddy Heald to solidify the backcourt. That's kind of the dream scenario, and that's really what they kind of hoped they would get out of the lottery if they were able to get the Lakers pick had that fallen to four or five. So I have them taking – I have the Celtics taking Chris Dunn because I think he's the guy that I, I could see them most falling in love with if it were to be uh, – So in this situation, they can't find a deal and they just keep the pick. But – and. But they do a different deal, and they they trade one of or both of Marcus Smart and Isaiah Thomas. To me, trading Isaiah Thomas right now is the type of move that a forward-thinking GM makes because his stock is is kind of at an all-time high. Uh, he's a good player, but he's he's the type of player who's a who's a really good player on a four or five seed. You know, he's not. He's not what they were this year. Right. He's, I mean, he's coming up. He's going to be 28 midway through next season. I think. I think he's the type of guy you try to move right now. I think Marcus Smart is a guy that the Celtics kind of took a took a shot on. It th- his weaknesses haven't turned into strengths. You know, he still can't shoot. He's really good at, at on ball defense. Not that great at much else. I, I think you could you could flip those two or just one of those two, and then it becomes uh, a lot more of a of a scenario where you can envision them taking Dunn and sliding him right in and he'll, and maybe not losing a ton after trading one or both of those guys. No, I agree. I think, you know, in that, in that situation, you maybe take a slight step back as a franchise from, you know, wins and losses perspective. If you move Isaiah Thomas and, and insert a rookie in Chris Dunn, but if you have, if you have, you have to be forward thinking, like mm-hmm. you said, uh, with a move like this and, Unless Boston's able to attract, you know, via trade, via free agency, you know, one or two big free agents that make them a legitimate contender right away in the East, I think you can kind of afford to to take a chance on a guy like Dunn. And, and like I said, maybe you lose four or five wins next year, but it ends up paying dividends in the next three or four years. Right. I think it just it would be kind of taking another crack at trying to get right. a well, franchise player. If you're Boston, you have a nice team right now, and I, I think there is something to be said about you know, kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, hitting the reset on what looks to be a pretty good thing they have going. You know, I mean, they had a fun season. You know, it was a team that it seemed like a lot of Boston Celtics fans were able to get into and kind of get behind. But, yeah, it's a fun underdog story. But do you want your peak to be knocking off someone in the first round and no. maybe challenging to get to the East Finals? Like, I think if you're a Celtics fan especially, you know, I don't think there's another franchise maybe outside of the Lakers that's, you know, predisposed to winning like the Celtics are, I think you understand what the what the ceiling is for this team, and and you know adding a guy like Dunn or even Heald or Murray, I think extends the ceiling a little bit in the long term. Right, everyone currently on the roster is available. Every pick, every pick that they have is currently available. They just they're trying to get 
one star. They don't. They don't have a star right now. Right. Like they would take. This is a team with three first star. round picks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they I mean, have the assets to move things around. And it. I mean, it's. They physically, I don't think, can hold all three of these picks by the end of the night. I mean, they're no. not going to add three first round picks to a roster that's already twelve deep with you know average to good players. No, they're going to be the team that I think does the most impactful mm-hmm. dealing between now and, and the end of the night. Okay, so at number four, the Phoenix Suns. I went with Buddy Heald here. You have Dragon Bender. Um, I mean, what were your thoughts on Bender? I don't think either of us have really done any deep, deep dives uh, on his game, and and he's a guy. Obviously, he wasn't at the combine. We haven't heard a ton of chatter about him. Is he a guy? You know, it, it seems like you know guys like Bender come through every draft where nobody knows a ton about him. But at some point, you kind of feel like the upside is great enough that you know if you're a team sitting at four, five, six, you just kind of grab him because he's considered the best asset available. I just I think. There's too many front offices and scouts that still kind of look at a guy like Bender and see a franchise or the potential of a franchise player, even though, like, I know, like, when was the last time a big man determined, like, who won or lost the finals? Or, you know, I I just, it seems to always be wings or guards or at the very least like a guy like Draymond Green who right who's, I mean, you can argue like Dirk but is he really a big man and yeah. even then you're going back yeah you're going back like uh five years or whatever mm. to to that Dallas and you really got to go back to Duncan and probably Shaq yeah I mean it's it's just it's not really the way the league's going and then if yeah if you want to compare it to Dirk then you're you're talking about an all-time great big man shooter so uh to me I think it's it's not it doesn't necessarily make sense that teams look at guys like this and, and envision like a superstar, but I think Bender definitely sort of fits that mold, and he's the type of guy that you could watch in a private workout and really talk yourself into. So I, I think teams kind of know what a guy like Jamal Murray or Buddy Heald's ceiling is, and they know what the the bust potential with a guy like Jalen Brown, kind of without the upside of a guy like Dragon Bender. So. To me, he, he doesn't fall outside the top five, but that's saying more about the guys in that mix than it is about him, really. So number five to the Timberwolves, we both agree on this, and we've agreed on it, I think, for a while. We've talked about this quite a bit. Jamal Murray seems like kind of the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. You know, They already have Rookie Rubio in place. They already have Zach Levine, and obviously they have Andrew Wiggins. I think Murray's kind of that perfect combo guard. If Rubio's off the floor, he can slide down and play the point. They tried Levine out there a little bit last season. I think part of that was just you know Tyus Jones really wasn't quite ready. Um, I think Levine's a little better at the two long term, but basically you're giving yourself with Murray a three guard rotation. Uh, you know, all guys what 23 and younger. However, how, Rubio's the oldest of that crop, um, and I think you're basically set. You know, for the next three four years at the guard spot, you have Wiggins who can slide down and play a little shooting guard, uh, small forward as well. I mean, is is this one kind of the biggest no brainer of the top five for you? Yeah, if he's there, and that's that's an if because he could definitely go at three, he could definitely go at four. So I I think, you know, the way things fell and on mine, he was available, and I think if he's there, it just makes too much sense to take him. You know that maybe they if they have their choice between Murray and Heald, like they do in my mock, maybe they just like Heald more for for whatever reason. I mean, they're close. I could see that, uh, but I think Murray, you know, it, in addition to what you talked about they just need shooting like that's yeah. that's really their biggest weakness right now is is outside shooting and Murray would be able to not have to guard 
like he, he's never gonna have to guard the, the toughest ball handler for the opposing team on that team because that's Ricky Rubio's job I mean that's something that Levine or Wiggins can do I mean Murray's just gonna be a guy that just sits in the corner and buries shots in his rookie season and that would be kind of perfect for that team yeah Minnesota second last in the league and in, in terms of number of made threes ahead of only Milwaukee uh last season and that, I think that's what he brings that I mean Levine is kind of hot and cold as a three-point shooter you know he'll have those nights where he can give you that but certainly not a guy who really instills a ton of fear as a three-point shooter and Rubio obviously hasn't done that as well so I think if it's me I mean if you're debating between Murray and Heald I think their games offensively at least are similar enough that you could kind of go with either one um but you know Murray being three years younger maybe that gives him uh the edge there but I have I have Chris Dunn going six to New Orleans you have Buddy Heald uh at six do you, is this just kind of a best guard available for New Orleans? I think it's best upperclassman available. <laughs> like, I I mean, it's it's sort of hard for me to envision a scenario where both Heald and Dunn are gone at six, and I think that one of those two guys is, is the pick if they're there. Because to me, now, if they get Heald, I don't really think that that's – you know, an organization crippler. I mean, I think that that's a totally fine pick fit, fit some needs as well, but I, I really think they are kind of in that, like we've talked about it on the podcast before, how they're going down that exact same road that the Cavaliers went down the first time around with LeBron James, where they've just done an atrocious job of surrounding Anthony Davis with complimentary pieces. LeBron James was good enough to overcome those horrible front office decisions and, and, almost almost win a ring with Cleveland the first time around Davis in the Western Conference obviously doesn't have the luxury of getting some cupcake uh seedings in, in the playoffs so uh you know healed healed I think makes a ton of sense I mean he could he could kind of make up for the fact that Eric Gordon's been a complete bust really ever since they acquired him future buck Eric Gordon <laughs> future buck Eric Gordon uh and healed you know at the I mean they they need guys that can log minutes healed can come in right away and log 30 32 minutes as a rookie so uh, I think it makes a lot of sense but I do think that they are going to be more than willing to pass on upside for a guy that can help them try to make the playoffs next year yeah, I think that Cavs comparison really is spot on. We'll see if they if the Pelicans start sniffing around Larry Hughes and Shannon <laughs> Brown this offseason. Uh, maybe Mike Brown comes back. I don't know. But, I mean, just the way that they've kind of mortgaged picks for stopgap players, Tyreek right. Evans, Eric Gordon, um, Quincy Pondexter, guys like that. I mean, guys when just, healthy just are signing good. signing Tyreek Evans. Right. It's just Well, it's signing guys who are productive when healthy but not really considering fit. You know, it's just kind of this guy is a name. Let's bring him in. And, and obviously it's backfired for them. Uh, but but you know Gordon's off the books uh, this summer. Tyreek Evans is off the books next summer. Ryan Anderson's off the books this summer, uh, and you know you never know who, which of those players they'll bring back. And you could kind of see them you know giving Eric Gordon a desperation offer because this roster could look really really bare next season. And this is an organization that really really wanted to be a playoff team this year. Obviously injuries uh, put an end to that and a, a terrible start to the season. Uh, basically they were eliminated what 15 games in. Um, so they're in such an odd spot. You know, they're a win now mindset without any of the players to win now. But I think at some point, you know, if if you have a mindful GM and a mindful organization, well, you can take a step back and. I mean, Dell Demps isn't a mindful okay. GM, but like <laughs> ideally, if, if you have one, you know, it's it's honestly not that hard. Like if you have competent like coaches and G, GM in place, like like you know Portland that that just in Anthony Davis, you already have more than Portland had to work with 
coming into last season after they let all those guys go. And they just went out and made a bunch of really smart signings and surrounded Lillard and McCollum with guys that can log minutes and not be net negatives. And they just had a really smart coach that was able to design the right actions to take advantage of what his players did well. And like you can turn that into a playoff team. I think that's totally doable even next year in New Orleans. I just don't think the... When you have Anthony Davis, it's doable. Right. And I just don't think that they have the people making decisions to get the right guys and kick the right guys to the curb mm-hmm. yeah i mean this, this is a, a big draft i think for new Orleans. obviously they would have liked to be a little bit higher up but i think this is this is really a chance to land I mean, with anthony davis being as young as he is i mean he's basically buddy Heald's age i mean you can mm-hmm. get a contemporary and if, if you hit this pick right and and six again is a little bit low to to try to get you know a franchise franchise guy yeah. but I mean, we've seen it happen if you hit on this pick I mean, this could be your potential running mate for Anthony Davis for the next, you know, seven, eight years. And I think Buddy Heald's got the right uh, kind of mindset and competitiveness that would – I mean, Anthony Davis, if, if anything, kind of lacked fire and drive last season. And mm-hmm. part of that is understandable because you're playing with guys that shouldn't even be in the league and that kind of thing. But it, to me, he he really didn't make his teammates better. He, he didn't – kind of take that next step that I think a lot of people are expecting and I think Heald's competitiveness would kind of help bring out the best in Anthony Davis yeah well I think Heald is maybe a little bit more ready than a guy like Jamal Murray uh to kind of step in and maybe be yeah. a number two three option right away and, and that's not to say Murray certainly can't be that down the road uh but Buddy Heald basically did that for Oklahoma the last year year and a half so mm-hmm. I think if you're if you're in the position that New Orleans is in and you want a guy who is a future building block, but who can also play well for you right away. I think maybe you lean, uh, you lean towards Buddy Hield in that situation. Number seven to Denver. We both have Jalen Brown here. Uh, again, a guy who is kind of in that top three, four discussion for a while. Seems like people have cooled off on him a little bit. Um, you know, six six, almost six seven, uh, almost a seven foot wingspan, which helps him a lot. But he does struggle a little bit as a shooter right now, just kind of a guy who bullies his way into the lane and, and does finish well, has great good strength, but just not quite as well-rounded offensively as some of the guys we're talking about above him. No, and I I think he's definitely got the upside to be the third-best player from this class. I think he's, you know, honestly, in my opinion, I think he's got the most upside of anyone outside the top two if, if everything can kind of break right for him, especially with that jump shot. Uh, I don't with the current with the guys off the board that we both have here at this pick. I, I just don't think the Nuggets are a team that can afford to not take risks. You know, well, at, they have three first rounders yeah, too. At number seven, if there's a guy like Brown on the board who could end up being like an All Star someday, I think you just got to kind of roll the dice and, yep. and hope you hit. That yeah, this is a this is kind of one of those situations we talked about with Bender where it's you know you can you can poke holes in his game, but at some point you just have to kind of mortgage the risk there, and I think that's exactly what they do uh, with Jalen Brown. Sacramento at eight, another one we agreed on, Denzel Valentine. The only way I I don't see this happening is because it would be too smart of a pick for the Kings to make. So I don't I don't know if I trust them to make this pick. See, we we both see. So I don't necessarily think it's a smart pick, but I think that uh, they will think it kind of. I I just don't think of Valentine as a guy that I would even have ranked in my top fifteen, probably in terms of prospects in this draft. So to me, there's going to be someone better available. But you can look at that team and the issues they've had and Valentine Valentine would seem to cure a lot of those ills and 
just because of his personality or the Draymond Green comps that don't make any sense. And he went to Michigan State, though, <laughs> so he's Draymond Green. Uh, and the fact that they haven't had a competent shooting guard in uh, have they ever had a competent shooting guard? Well, I mean, did, was Peja <laughs> technically a shooting guard? Or, I think Doug or, Christie. We have to go back to Doug Christie. Doug Christie. I guess there was a time when Doug Christie was considered an above-average NBA player, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a long time for them, and they've whiffed on Macklemore and Stauskas. Shout uh, out Jimmer for dead. Jimmer for dead. You know this. I don't think Val. I don't think. I think Denzel's got a higher floor than those guys. Oh yeah. He, but, I mean, he might have one of the highest floors, top five highest floors in the draft. <laughs> I mean, at worst, I think he becomes, you know, Evan Turner, which, you know, isn't ideal, uh, but I, I think you could live with that at eight. This is an awful draft of top five floors, Evan Turner. Evan Turner went two overall. <laughs> if Evan Turner goes eight in that draft, you probably view him as a, as a reason, reasonable success. I mean, Evan Turner was a guy that probably should have been out of the league if you if we just hey. go three, 365 days ago. Like, nobody wanted Evan Turner. Um I I just think this this makes a lot of sense in their minds. Billy wanted Evan Turner. Whereas the other thing the other thing that makes this really kind of obvious to me is that all the best players available that make sense in this range are big men, and I can't really see them going after another big man when yeah, Willie Colley Stein's probably their second best right. player. It's so hard at this point. You know, eight is kind of right on the borderline of draft for talent or draft for need. And, you know, it depends, I guess, maybe how much you like Cauley Stein. Obviously, you have DeMarcus Cousins. I think you could make a case to take, you know, Chris or Scal or, you know. If they really love one of the point guards or Henry Ellenson or one of the European guards or wingmen, uh, that that could be the pick. But I just don't really see them taking a guy like Deontay Davis or Chris or Pirtle here. It just seems like it wouldn't be that exciting for the front office to no. do that. Well, this is another team. Do we know what direction they're going in at all? Are they are they kind of rebuilding still? Like I mean, they, they have, have a better the they have a better coach. Years? I think they're just hoping that Dave Yeager's the Demarcus Cousins whisperer. Right, and I mean, that's can, really like, what they've been hoping for since they drafted Cousins. But I, mean, I think it watch or uh, I was say Denzel Washington, Denzel Valentine is the type of guy you don't really have to worry about as far as Denzel a fit. Washington would be a lock he to go be, number one on my board if he was. Would he be a good here. coach? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, feel like I think he would, so. he would straighten Cousins out. I think right? so. I think I think he would just have to get into get into a, like a mode like he's playing a role, right? And then he could just unlock the best out of anyone. I think. Yeah, maybe have him do some sort of like biopic where he plays Popovich. Or, <laughs> I'd love to get that going. But all right, so eight uh, we have Valentine, nine the Toronto Raptors. This should be the New York Knicks pick. Shout out Andrea Bargnani. I went with um, Henry Ellenson here, and you went with Marquise Chris. What was the reasoning for that? I think the Raptors are pretty smart, and I think a smart team is going to be the team that drafts Marquise Chris because I think I, I – honestly, he's probably my favorite player outside the top two uh, just in terms of the value you're going to get at where you get him. Like I think he – to me, I wouldn't, wouldn't laugh at anyone that said he was the third best player in this draft, and he's obviously not going to go near the third pick. So uh, I just think – Whoever takes him, I'm going to be like, oh, of course they took Chris. Like, and I think the the Raptors sort of fit that mold. And he's also, you know, they they played Louis Scola and Jason Thompson uh, at times quite a bit last this yeah. current season, and so that's obviously an area they could use to use an upgrade at. Yeah, I think you know I wrote in my little write up with Ellenson. You know, obviously he's a power forward as well, like Chris, and 
you know, I said the Raptors roster could look a lot different next season, and you know, we're not really sure. It's kind of the last two years. Ujiri is. It sounded like you know, toyed with the idea or kicked the tires at least on on kind of blowing this thing up a little bit. And I think this summer, you know, provided that they don't you know pull off this comeback against Cleveland and, and make it to the finals, I think this summer is when we really start to see him uh, start to get his I, fingerprints on this roster. So you know, if they. I feel like just by winning two games in this Eastern Conference Finals, to me that's almost enough to just sort of run it back and try to make improvements in the margins. You know, like right. DeMar DeRozan probably isn't worth a max, but like you got to give that money to somebody. Like I don't know who the Raptors are going to give it to. Like who? Who else? It looks a lot of... better giving it to him this week than it did two weeks ago. It sure does. It sure does. And <laughs> and seriously, it's it's really odd how this this team I mean, has gone from. You know, a you, legit underdog. To, you get like a fully healthy Demar Carroll next year. You know, Pat Patterson, Jonas Valanciunas, obviously looked like he was making some steps forward uh, towards the end of the keep biz? season. I think. How much is that? Well, you cost? said you said you don't know where you, where that money goes. I think we know where that where that DeRozan <laughs> Max money goes. Uh, you know that they're probably just a couple tweaks here and there out to the roster away from looking like maybe clear cut top three seed again going into next year and i just don't really see an argument for blowing that up just because well well we're probably not going to be as good as cleveland like you know well do you want to be a top six team in the league or do you want to be like a in that kind of eight to 15 range where like teams like the nuggets always are and they're just never doing anything exciting the key if you want to get right in that conversation with cleveland you're going to have to attract you know two or three big star you know big name star players i just don't see that happening like i said i think you i mean kind of you just you all you got to do is just give yourself a chance to to win in like a fluky series like right. this i mean to, exactly to me they've, they've right already now. they've already like kind of shown what the blueprint is like you yeah. you get hot you you know cleveland isn't you basically just get hot <laughs> cleveland isn't the type of team that it like is above kind of crumbling under certain outside pressures so like just by getting hot for those two games where they shouldn't have I mean, made yeah. some of the shots they made then you're already like there's already mm-hmm. issues in that cleveland locker room and if you, if the raptors actually just had a better team then they sure. would maybe have a shot at winning two of those next three games right exactly and, and the, going back to our original point with you know going with power forwards in each in our each of our mocks that position whether they're blowing it up or whether they you know were to bring back the entire roster on paper next season they still need help at power forward right. no matter what so i think i think that's this is where they look to go at number nine uh number 10 the milwaukee bucks that's where i have marquise chris a uh, little bit of wishful thinking i think on my part i think so too. you you really <laughs> did something here <laughs> i have scale the bissier going here now you All might right, number 11 to the <laughs> <laughs> i mean we can we can we can do we a can separate blow over pod. it if you want i mean it's I just think that I mean Hammond Hammond has shown that he'll uh kind of take the guy that has the most sort of raw undeveloped talent on the board if it's kind of in this range with guys like Brandon Jennings and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Larry Sanders Scalp sort of fits into that I I think some teams going to get to a point on their board where all the guys they felt comfortable with are gone and they're they have a scout or two that's just saying look i think like we can do x y and z with this guy and really he could he could be something special for us i don't really see scal falling out of the lottery so he's got to go to somebody and uh you know i no matter where i put scal on a mock like whatever team that is their fans are not going to be 
happy about it. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, I read he had his private workout um, right after the draft combine, and I think it was Steve Kyler from Basketball Insiders said, you know, there, there are people here who would talk about him as a top five guy now. Like, he, he somehow rehabbed he, – he offset an entire season of wild disappointment <laughs> in a one-on-o workout. And it just where, – where's the precedent for that ever, ever really working out? No, so, no, no, no. Uh, you know, as, it's, as someone It's who, really crazy, like, how stuff like that has any impact at all, really. Like, you know, in a one-on-one workout – like, honestly, there's, like – Players who are way, way, way better in like three on three. Players who are way, way better even in four on four than they are in five yep. on five. I'm, I'm one of those players. Much better in a four on four setting. Uh, like five on five is what happens in the game. Like you're not you versus the chair in the game. Like it, well, it doesn't I mean, really matter. Like I don't know. It, I know that. I will say in, in Scal's defense, like that couldn't have been a worst a worse offensive system for no, him that true. he was in last year at Kentucky. Like he shouldn't be playing in the post really at all on offense. He's a stretch big. That's, mm-hmm. that's all there is to it. Uh, so I can see that not carrying a ton of weight, but you still want to get him into a five on five setting if at all possible in, in the workout. Mm-hmm. All right. 11, the Orlando magic. You went with Jakob Pertl. Uh, I gave no. them I went... oh, all the way around. Sorry. I went with Jakob Pertl. You went with Timothy Luau. Um, a little bit higher than I had him going. I think he's a guy that could sneak into the top 10 when it's all said and done. He's a guy who could slip back a little bit. I really do like him a lot. What did you see on tape that, that had you slot him in here at 11? He's just a really athletic wing, can guard, shooting guard, small forward, uh, just kind of the, the prototypical type of player that every team's trying to get as many of as they can get their hands on. And outside with Valentin, uh, with Denzel off the board, he's really the only wing that kind of makes sense in this range. Like I I don't see another wing that I would feel comfortable putting in the lottery. And there's going to be a team that looks at all these big men and thinks that the point guards are a stretch and just decides to take the best wing available. So that's what I think Mm -hmm. the magic do here. Yeah. I don't know if they're kind of one of those odd teams like Denver and, you know, Boston to a degree where it's hard to look at any position and say, wow, this is a huge glaring need. But you also look at every position and say, you know, they're not set with a superstar here. I think Aaron Gordon at power forward. Um, where did he go to school? Go Cats. Go Cats. Um, a player's program. Right, a player's program. <laughs> I think he's he's the guy where you say, all right, I think we, we have our power forward of the future. I think Victor Oladipo, you have a guard of the future. I don't think they're married long-term to Alfred Payton. I certainly don't think they're married long-term to Nick Vucevic. Even though they were the more, they were more well. married to Alfred Payton than they were Scott Skiles. Right. Well, I mean, even Tobias Harris. They signed right. him to an extension. He's gone halfway through the year. I don't, I don't think this is an organization that has extreme confidence in the core that they have in place. I think bringing in Frank Vogel is going to be huge, but Luau to me is a nice pick here. I, I think I, I had him going a little bit later. Uh, just because, you know, from what I've seen, it's he's kind of projected in the, How, the 13 to 20-ish range. But if you're going to go with a wing, you might as well grab the high upside guy here. Yeah. We're, so now you went with Pirtle. To me, he was the toughest guy to to I place just, because I'm I just – not a Pirtle guy. I'm not a Pirtle guy either. And apparently people are. Like, I don't – apparently he there are people who are Pirtle guys and like him a lot and would take him high in this draft. I just don't look at any roster – 
it's like when you don't like a player and it's also really tough to fit that guy on another team's roster, then they become really tough to, to send yes. out in a mock like he, this. I, he was the toughest guy for me because, yeah. you know, you, when you're writing something like this, you know, you kind of glance at where, you know, where other guys are going in their mocks and you certainly don't want to copy anything, but it's like, okay, you know, there seems sometimes there can be a consensus developing. And I think that was the case with Jamal Murray at five, you know, almost any mock you see, you know, Jamal Murray's right in that range. And a lot of times right at five, Pirtle was all over the place. I mean, he had him going as high as I think I saw him at six to New Orleans, which just seems like kind of a redux on, on Omar Ashik. Um, But yeah, he, he was the toughest guy because it, for me, Scal was the same way too. It was like I don't want to saddle anybody with this guy. I think I wanted to saddle the Bucks and their fans <laughs> with Scal. So you deserve Scal. So like I, I just felt like that was the uh, place for him. But yeah, all right. uh, twelve. I Wade Baldwin. I have Scal at twelve to the Jazz. Uh, to the Jazz. Yep. Not like again. I mean, I just said I'm not a big believer in the Bissier, uh whatsoever. But I think there are worse places for him to land than Utah. I think he can. You know, kind of be the the mix or the the contrast, I guess, to Gobert and Favors think, guys who really can't. I think that's a really nice fit because no matter what, he'll be on there with either one of those guys, right? And they can do all the stuff down low, exactly. and he can just basically get wide open looks yeah. based on who else is on the floor. I think you kind of risk him turning into too much of a shooter. You know, almost almost how Cleveland is is used Kevin Love right now, and you know, certainly those you know, Lebissier and Love are not at all the same player, but. I don't think you necessarily want him to just come in and, and launch jumpers. Or I kind of think you do. Like I, I, I sort of think you do because I think defensively he can turn into he can turn into just a really unique player like a three maybe and D center where he yeah like <laughs> where he's just like protecting the rim on defense and then shooting sure. threes on offense. I mean it's it's kind of a unheard of role for a player but i i sort of think that would be the best way to take advantage of his skills sure. and i think that utah would be a perfect place for that okay and you have baldwin to utah uh this is just I, kind of stepping in for trey burke stepping in uh or, or should i, should I, I mean back? i mean yeah geez. uh yeah their their point guard situations are a complete joke minus dante exum and it's impossible to really predict how many minutes exum's gonna be able to handle next year uh or how impactful he'll be in those minutes so i think them getting a point guard makes a lot of sense to me demetrius jackson's a reach at 12 baldwin i think if you kind of sell yourself on his defensive potential given that length he might not be a reach at 12 so i think he he was the guy here for me all right i went luau to phoenix this is the washington pick uh from the markeith morris deal and at 13 you went with henry ellinson so a little bit later i think than he's being mocked Mm -hmm. Uh, he was another he him and he was second hardest for me to place other than Turtle because mm-hmm. I don't, I just wouldn't take him over some of the other power forwards. Um, but to me, Phoenix, they they are another team with multiple picks. I think it makes right. sense to kind of roll the dice on him if he falls to thirteen. Totally agree. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about Allenson, but the thing with him is the big selling point is oh he can step out and shoot. He shot twenty nine percent from three. Last, like he will shoot, but he, can he shoot? I think the the thing with him is does he know what kind of player he is like i i think if he thinks that he's like a legitimate go-to option then i think it's gonna be really difficult to kind of incorporate him into yep. an offense but if he were willing to like accept a absolutely complimentary role then i think he could develop into a, a pretty nice player so that's that's gonna be the make or break thing with him all right rounding out the lottery chicago we both have deontay davis michigan state um you know chicago is another one of those teams that's in flux they're gonna need help i think in the front court regardless Pau gasol 
uh, most likely moving on. It sounds like they want to bring back Joe Kim Noah. I don't know what you really get from Joe Kim Noah at this point. Taj Gibson seems like he's banged up around midseason every year, getting up there in age. They do have Bobby Portis. So, you know, as I noted on my mock draft, and again, you can find both of these uh, on the NBA page on rotowire.com. You know, it's a little bit of a retread in some ways of, you know, drafting a young, uh, relatively high upside power forward, you know, in in this kind of 14 to, I think they got Portis at 18 or 19 uh, range. But at the same time, you know, with as fragile as Noah's been and with Gibson not only getting older, but also coming up on the final year of his deal next summer, yeah, I think you have a chance here to add a 19-year-old with a 7-3 wingspan um, who you can kind of sit behind these these veteran guys and even behind Portis probably for a year or two. And then, you know, maybe come 2017, 2018, you have this Bobby Portis, Deontay Davis front line that I think looks pretty good. Yeah, I, I think that they're a team that is absolutely going to go best player available. And Davis, to me, has even more upside than, than Portis. Uh yeah, like the length you talked about. I mean, he could really develop into anything. It's just there's there's definite bust potential here too. Yep. All right, so now out of the lottery, we'll just skip through uh, and talk about some of the bigger names or some of the picks uh, that we want to get to in this 15 to 30 range. Uh, but just, just to summarize, 15 to Denver, you have Furkan Korkmaz, uh, an international shooting guard. Uh, I think he's Turkish. Is that correct? Everyone knows about Kirkmaz, yeah. Sure. <laughs> big name, big name in Turkey. I had Malik Beasley, Florida State. I think we both agree that, you know, Denver with three picks in the first round can afford to, to kind of jump around and then just kind of go best player available. I had Korkmaz going 16 to Boston, another team with multiple picks. Uh, you had Pirtle all the way down at 16 uh, to Boston. Sabonis, this is one I wanted to ask you about. You had DeMontis Sabonis, Gonzaga at 17 uh, to Memphis. He's a guy that I had going back at 20 to Indiana. Uh, why Memphis for him? Well, he's a guy that's going to really shine in any kind of advanced stats type of filtering. Uh, Grizzlies front office obviously leans heavily in that direction. I also think that they're a team that really could use some some youth up front. I mean, they're, they're really getting old up there, and injuries have been an issue, so I think he, he fits in nicely. Okay. All right. At 17, I had Demetrius Jackson. I think this is kind of a – you know, it's tough. This is kind of a one assuming that Mar or that Mike Conley moves on. But even if he doesn't, I think you still need help at point guard. You know, it's kind of a Raptors situation where this is a little bit of a weak spot for them. Mario Chalmers set to be a free agent. Sounds like he probably won't be back. Um, so I think they either go Demetrius Jackson or Wade Baldwin. If Conley's not back, maybe you sign another a veteran guy to kind of make this a two point guard system right away with the hope that you know Jackson or Baldwin develop into a starter for you you know, by year two or year three. But, you know, if you're, if you're Memphis and you're deciding between those, those two guys, who is your preference? I, I like Baldwin more than Jackson just because I think he's got more upside. I think Jackson Jackson's going to be one of those guys to me who is a starter at times and a backup at times and just kind of floats from team to team, like different team every, every couple of years or so, just sort of filling whatever's needed there. I, I don't really see him as a top 20 point guard, whereas Baldwin – a uh, bit riskier maybe, but he's got the tools really to be pretty special. Mm-hmm. So you had him going up at 12 to Utah, correct? I had him at 18 to Detroit, so the next pick right after Demetrius Jackson. They're another team. They're set with Reggie Jackson, but they weren't playing him huge minutes down the stretch. You know, first part of the season that Detroit starting five was being pounded to death really, but uh, oddly enough, after they made the trade and kind of depleted their point guard depth, sending sending Jennings to Orlando, Jackson was really only playing, you know, 26 to 29 minutes most nights. That still leaves, you know, 18 to 20 minutes 
for a backup point guard. I don't think you ideally want that to be Steve Blake. It sounds like they don't really love what Spencer Dinwiddie's become, you know, kind of a part-time D-leaguer, mm-hmm. a guy who's never really developed into rotational piece, despite having that intriguing size. I think Baldwin's kind of the ideal defensive point guard. You know, he was a guy that we both talked to at the Combine. He said he's been told he can he can guard up to three positions, certainly the both backcourt spots, 6'11 and a half wingspan. It just kind of seems like a natural fit for a Stan Van Gundy team. Yeah, I think I also targeted point guard as an area where they could use a little help, uh, a little depth at least. So, yeah, I had them taking Demetrius Jackson there, but that point guard definitely makes sense for them. Denver at 19. This is a Trailblazers pick from the Aaron Aflalo deal. You had Czech Diallo going here. I had Torian Prince from Baylor. This is, again, you know, this is Denver's, what, third pick already yeah, in this the first is a- round. So three of the top 19 for Denver and at that point you're just kind of you're just kind of grabbing value yeah or upside I mean you're sure. just kind of rolling the dice yep 20 to Indiana that's where I put Sabonis that's where you had Torian Prince 21 Atlanta a guy who didn't make my first round uh but the more I read about him I think he might end up creeping into the back the back end of the first round I should say Malachi Richardson um I mean were you able to get a pretty good look at him at the combine uh, not really, because he didn't have to participate in the five-on-five, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason I have him in the first round, because I think he wouldn't have been at the combine and not I participating think, well, he was in the thinking about it. five-on-five. Participating. I, mean, I think, but the, I, well, based on how I understand it, like the NBA, there's a certain caliber of player that in order to attend, you have to mm-hmm. play in the five-on-five, and those are guys that aren't, aren't locks by any stretch to go in right. the first round. I think Richardson not being in that class suggests that there's enough teams that view him as a as a back end of the first round right. type of guy i look at his wingspan uh the fact that he's another guy can guard multiple positions he his field goal percentage was awful in 36.9 last year but he actually shot like 35 percent from three so uh definitely a three and d potential on the wing sure. yeah i checked diallo going 21 to atlanta 22 uh a spot that we agreed on that was malcolm brogdon um that, this this to me kind of seems like like a natural fit as well I mean we, we talked to Brogdon at the combine and, and it was very very evident that you know everything you kind of heard about Brogdon you know heady player you know four-year guy high character it all kind of was born out in that 10-15 minute interview um and and from what we heard you know there's a Charlotte Observer writer who was also in on that interview and he you know three or four times like, really hammered home that Charlotte loved Malcolm Brogdon and and you know it, it seems like you probably hear that if you're a player you probably hear you know six or seven teams love you and you don't you don't know where you're going to end up but I think this is kind of right in the range for Brogdon maybe a little bit high um but I think I think it it's just kind of makes sense for both sides this is the Charlotte team that after so many years you know mostly spent as the Bobcats you know kind of toiling toward the bottom of the Eastern Conference they're finally to the point where you know maybe they can't complete with they can't compete I should say with Cleveland and Toronto but I think for now they're they're not content to be in this place, but they want to be a playoff team, and a guy like Brogdon is, is somebody who can help you stay in that area. Yeah, I think he'd help make up for losing Batum if mm-hmm. that's indeed what ends up happening. I mean, he's he's a guy I think that definitely played himself into the back of the first yep. round. Yep, 23, Boston. We both have international players here, uh, which makes sense with it being their third first-round selection. I went with Juan Hernan Gomez. You went with Ivaka Zubak, a guy I know you just love and are constantly talking about. Look, Zubak's going to bring the physicality. Uh, you know, he's Ante Zizic is another big man that's been uh, been kind of rumored as a late first rounder. I think Zubak's a bit more physical, seven one, two sixty five. You know that that kind of guy that that 
imposing presence off the bench. Definitely probably not a starter long term, but someone that will give you valuable minutes. 24, Philadelphia. Um, you went Tyler Eulis here, and I'm, I'm interested to hear your reasoning. He's a guy I had uh, mocked a little bit further. I have him at 28 to Phoenix. It's hard to say he emerged from the combine as a loser, you know, quote unquote, but whenever you weigh in at 149 pounds, uh, and, you know, for a guy who's projected maybe as high as the late lottery initially, I don't think teams were thrilled with that. Certainly I wasn't thrilled with it. I mean, do you think Philadelphia is just kind of willing to take a chance here being in the spot that they are? I think that given the change at the top of that organization, they want to put out competent basketball next year. And, you know, they got to address point guard via the draft or free agency. I think Ulysses, obviously the size is going to make people doubt him, but I, I wasn't surprised by what he weighed in at just having watched him, but I was surprised that it was such a like record uh, based on previous. 149 is light, man. I mean, I, he's not that short. I mean, I I didn't think he was going to weigh in much high. If you'd asked me what I thought Ulysses was going to weigh in at, I mean, he's he's kind of skin and bones, but he's he's really good on ball defender. I mean, there's obviously going to be point guards he can't guard because of their size. Like, I mean, he's not going to be able to guard Westbrook per se, but I mean, the Thunder never forced you to have a two good defending guards right. out there, so he could, he could handle that. And it's nice of the Thunder, isn't yeah. It? <laughs> and and look he, he's a really good shooter like he he's got nba range like he he can hit off the dribble off the catch uh he's gonna get his teammates involved make them better i, I just think he makes a lot of sense for a team that's trying to develop players to have mm-hmm. him come in there and put his teammates in in positions to succeed is he ever a starter at the nba level for a non super rebuilding philly team <laughs> um look i don't know i <laughs> I don't I it, the the whole writing off small players I mean it happens in every sport and every 4 or 5 years someone makes the people that did it look really stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that he can't be. He's got really impressive skills. Look, I mean Tyus Jones is a guy sure. that I think a lot of people have written off. He's he's got a inch or two on Ulis, but at times last year he looked really good for for Minnesota. So I I just I think it's possible especially if he can really uh, continue to get better with that three-point shot. All right, fair enough. Uh, at 24 there, I went with DeAndre Bembry, a guy who I think is probably solidly in that 18 to 30 range uh, at this point. Good combine showing. He was kind of right on the edge uh, of guys who were you know asked to participate in five-on-five. Five. It sounded like he had a choice, ended up taking advantage of that choice, played really well. Uh, somebody who I read today was, was called one of the best cutters in the country. How much stock do you put into a player's ability to cut? I mean, if it's not the first thing I look for, it's definitely the second thing. I mean, he's Elite he, he's a big-time cutter. Look, nobody's going to say that he's not. <laughs> I hope somebody puts together, like, a cutting mixtape. Um, you know, Richard Jefferson made some made some mixtape-worthy cuts last night. Mixtape-worthy finishes. He's still, he's still in the league. Yeah, that's how you stick in the league. Cuts. <laughs> 25, the Clippers, we both agreed. Bryce Johnson. Um, you know, Cole Aldrich was, and the way I put it in my article, shockingly passable as a backup to DeAndre Jordan for a lot of the year. I don't think that's really what you want long-term if you're the Clippers. I, I think this is certainly a team that's still in win-now mode, and I think you're bringing in a college senior, albeit one who has a lot to work on. But I think at 25, if it's between a guy like him or you know Diallo, say he's on the board, or Diamond Stone, I think they lean towards Bryce Johnson. I just think this is a Doc Rivers pick if I've ever seen one. I mean, 
he maybe has even caught some of his games. You know, you never know. Possibly. He played at played at no, North Carolina. There's a chance Doc Rivers has at least heard of Bryce Johnson. I mean, he wasn't at the combine, but I didn't expect uh, to see him there. Uh, you know, this is a guy that I think, you know, you can look at the numbers on paper, and Doc Rivers can talk himself into this being a really good player. Not necessarily first round talent, in my opinion, but uh, you know, he'll, he'll go in this kind of 25 to mm-hmm. 40 range. We both have uh, Dejounte Murray at 26 to Philadelphia with their 45th first round pick. Um, kind of the same reason, you know, for Ulysses, I guess that, that the case you just made is you have the room, you know, to, to let a guy like DeJounte Murray develop. I think to me, he's kind of a, a round two of Michael Carter Williams. You know, the first, the first round obviously didn't work out and now you kind of get another shot at a pretty similar player. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a lot higher on Murray than I was on MCW when he came out. I, if I was calling the shots, like if I was a GM of all 30 teams, he would go in the top five or six of this draft. Like I, I really think outside the top two, he's got as much star potential as anyone. The jump shot is is why you kind of make the Michael Carter Williams comp. Well, that but, and the size, yeah, yeah, the size. I think he's a better ball handler and and yes. just kind of finisher and and getting to the basket than than Carter Williams maybe was at that age. Uh, similar defensive profiles it it's definitely kind of a a boomer bust type of player i mean there's there's a legitimate chance he spends all year in the d league and like isn't even cracking rotations in in the nba in in 2017 2018 but i also think he he could be a star i mean he's physically that that special so i i think he definitely goes in the first round even though some places have him pegged to go well outside the first round i think he's a first rounder i think the fact that you know, you can kind of use the context clues of, you know, he didn't participate in the combine. You know, maybe it's a little too early to have a promise from anybody, but I think he... Rich Paul gets you a promise. Oh, he is a Rich Paul guy. That's yeah. right. I forget that. That's also probably part of why he didn't participate in the combine. But yeah, I would like to think that Rich Paul can find him a spot in the first <laughs> round. Um, 27 to the Toronto Raptors. You went with Ben Bentel, a guy who I have sneaking in at the end of the first round as well. I think we're both really, really high on him. I went with Diamond Stone here. Um... You know, I'm, maybe they keep end up keeping Bismack Biombo around, in which case they probably don't even look at this. But you know, I think Stone's a, you know a bit of a, a higher-ish upside guy. You know that you usually can't find this kind of upside, I guess, at 27. And you know, I don't want to I don't want to claim that Stone is you know a future star by any means. But I hope not. <laughs> you hope. I, not, I hope but... you're not. I hope you're not oh, trying no, to yeah. claim that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you never know. Um, 28 to Phoenix. That's where you have DeAndre Bembry. That's where I have Tyler Ulis. 29 san antonio you want patrick mccaw from unlv i went with joel ballenboy uh from weber state both guys who fared well at the combine and who've kind of been on a, a steady if not rapid rise uh since the end of the college season and then at 30 to golden state that's where i have ben bentel i think he's kind of a a light version of harrison barnes you know definitely not ready to step in from day one and and do what harrison barnes did for this team especially during the regular season but i think he's a guy you know you can groom in that system a, a great organization for developing talent to you know maybe he's your eighth or ninth man next season and you know kind of slowly progresses up the ranks and you went with a foreign guy uh for the warriors juan hernan gomez um not a lot to say here i mean he he can shoot it he can play both forward positions he's kind of uh He's kind of he's more physical than you would imagine a guy from Spain being uh, on the wing, but he's yeah, I mean he's he's a big body guy that can stretch the floor. And not, just to be clear, there's another Hernan Gomez going around, Willie Hernan Gomez. <laughs> um, he was he was selected by the 76ers. 
uh, in in a previous draft. I'm trying to find where exactly this draft happened. It was one of those drafts and stashes, you know, a name you just hear and never really think about again. But it sounds like he's now his rights are now owned by the Knicks, and it sounds like he's probably going to be coming over next season. So don't don't confuse Willie Hernan Gomez with Juan Hernan Gomez. Uh, but that gets us through our first round. Uh, I know we'll probably each be posting at least one more mock draft uh, before the NBA draft on June 23rd. But real quickly before we go, who wins the OKC Golden State Series and who wins the Cleveland-Toronto Series? As we record uh, about a couple, uh, what, three hours before Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals, so it's 2-1 OKC right now, and it's 2-2 in the East. So who wins those series? Thunder. Or, I mean, uh, sorry. <laughs> Warriors, Warriors win the West. I, I'm, I've got more doubts now than I really ever have, but I'm sticking with them in seven. Okay, and uh, Cavs in six. All right. <laughs> what, about you? what about um, you? I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go Golden State in seven as well, um, and I'll go Cavs in seven. I, right. I think I think the Cavs might. Might wet the bed uh, to, to be politically correct, I guess. If, and that's probably not <laughs> to me. Like, correct. I know you're not rooting for this, but I, I'm actually kind of rooting for them to not Why? win that series just because I think it would be hilarious for the NBA to like go from having Do you this... just not want to watch the finals this year. Is that what you want? Well, I'd, I mean, it'd be it'd free me up some, for some, for some <laughs> other activities. <laughs> All right, fair enough. They're gonna kill the love of my life Daisy! if I don't go back to what I was doing this Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.